Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first and only season of This Is Not My Life. Now, this is a show that uh, originally came out 2010, and last we looked, or currently it is available on uh, in 2019 on Vudu, free with uh, with ads. Yes. It's... Ob- obviously, if you're listening to this later in time, yeah. maybe it's not still there. Uh, it's a New Zealand made a show for New Zealand, if that makes sense. So it's not just that it was made in New Zealand, but it's an American show. It's a purely New Zealand show. Yes. Out of the entire 13 episode, everybody who's on it, the entire cast, one actor I recognize from anything else. And that's Charles Measure, who was later on V, on Once Upon a Time, and I think it's done one or two other things uh, on the US side. I recognized one of the neighbors who I think has done some other Aussie and New Zealand shows. I take it back. I recognized one of the uh, wellness attendants, uh, John Tui from uh, some Power Ranger stuff. Yeah. And then uh, Richard Foster, who comes to be, I don't want to say the big bag because that's not quite right, but the representative of the opposing force. Uh, he is one of the big police officers on Dr. Blake, which is also a New Zealand production. He also has done voices for Power Rangers. He's a he's a big name. Well, and lots Power of Rangers movies and stuff. Has been filming in New Zealand for decades. I was going to say 10 or 15 years at least. Yeah. So a lot of people have gone through, you know, done voices or whatever. The premise of this show is a guy wakes up one morning and doesn't recognize his wife, his family, anything. It's like complete amnesia. Only it turns out it's not necessarily amnesia. Well, and but he, he's convinced it's not his life. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. And I think when I first heard about the show, that was what nagged at me with this is interesting. Is is it amnesia or is he right that this is not my life? It's not just that paranoia or this life doesn't feel like it fits me right well and in the first uh episode or two they really kind of is he crazy is he not is he just amnesiac what's going on and then they hit a point where it's like nope there's something up here Mm -hmm. and we are piecing it together as he's piecing it together in some cases we're a little ahead some cases a little behind but it really plays on a lot of themes, which are actually similar to a number of other shows we've watched, like Dark Matter and um, some others of, you know, concept of identity. Who can you trust? Are you the sum of your experiences? Is there something innate about you where if you took away those experiences, do you become somebody different or do certain things just shine through? Well, and it had an interesting aspect of how interchangeable are people. Mm-hmm. Because if you could give two separate individuals the same memories, would they be the same person? And in this case, they felt, no, you wouldn't be because there is these natural instincts that drive you in different ways, even if you have the same memories. So basically, you've got this town that 
we later learn more and more about. But basically, there are people in here that have been implanted with memories. And not like a full life's worth, but the key moments, and they kind of fill in the blanks. You know, who was your first love? Uh, where did you grow up? Things like that. Well, and I thought that was interesting when at one point they said, you know, if you were writing a program to help somebody fill in their mm -hmm. memories, you'd hit those key signifiers. And when you think about it, the average person doesn't remember every minute of every day, but they have those key moments that their yeah. mind goes back to. Yeah. Kind of the where were you when certain major life events happened. And it was interesting because at one point, uh, the lead character, Alec Ross, is explaining this to somebody. And it's like, oh, well, you've got, you know, the first love or whatever. And they both chime in with, you know, who their first love was, which almost kind of reinforces the yes, that was kind of plugged into them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's there because it was written in. Yeah. And it was funny because as they just had the, oh, it was so-and-so kind of a thing, you could see the emotional reaction they had to that memory and stuff. And one that was very clearly a a prescribed key moment sort of a thing. And even as they are acknowledging this probably isn't true, you could see the characters feel the truth of it. It, yeah. was, it was fun. And there were one or two places where, like early on, the son uh, of the lead character has a friend who's acting out. The father, you know, Alec, goes to, to see the kid or whatever. We're in the house. We see some photos. He comes back a day or two later after the kid has been replaced. And we see the same photos, but with the other person in. Yeah. And there's the, you know, our memories are reinforced by the things around us. And if they're digital photos, if there's, it's all digital, you know, history, mm -hmm. you're at the whim of, you know, even if you somehow doubt it and you've got this implant making you not doubt it, you've got all the visual evidence around you to support the new lie. Yeah. So they did quite a bit. Now, this again was a show from 2010. We're watching it here in 2019, and at first, when you had suggested, hey, let's rewatch, and I'm like, yeah, I remember really liking the show. It was really good, but there was a little reluctance on, it's 10 years old. Mm. Is it going to feel dated? Is it visually going to seem dated? Because I was afraid we were going to, you know, pop it up, and it would be full screen, not widescreen, and that right there kind of bounces you out a little. No, it was, it was HD at the time. Mm -hmm. I remember being blown away by some of the technology ideas. Like the cell phone being a little bigger than a business card size. I was going to say it was almost playing card size and slightly thicker, but it was like this clear translucent. For some reason in the future, we're going to have clear translucent tech devices in every reality. Yes, yes. Well, and this one is thick enough that you can kind of flip it open for a twice as wide screen mm -hmm. when you need a really impressive picture. It's funny because some of those ideas we're starting to, to actually get with foldable displays. Uh, there's an upcoming Surface Duo, which has that kind of open out sort of a deal. But they've taken it and, you know, really futurized it to where when you flip it out, it's no thicker or thinner than it was the other way. Mm -hmm. Total touch screen, all of this kind of thing, uh, complete with video uh, and camera capabilities and such. Yeah. The only thing those, uh, what they call it, the PEC, the PEC or something like that? Yeah. The only thing it didn't seem to have was any sort of offline mode. Yes. Which I found funny because even our devices, if the cell towers go off, we could still use our cell phones. Not for calling, but for MP3 playing, for notations, for, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I could never tell how these things charged. 
No, and I'm trying to think through their connection to the tower at Sarah because, like, every night, everything seemed, including the chips in the brain, seemed to get an upload of adjustments. There was something on the roof that was kind of the antenna signal receiver. We find out later that there's things in the mattresses that are kind of, you know, short distance, uh, near near field communication sort of devices to interface with the brain implant, which is this tiny little, it was what, maybe an inch long max and just, you know, uh, half the diameter of a pencil or something. Yeah. So... But the pecs didn't seem to be on the nightly adjustments because, like, at one point, he finds a voicemail from a day he didn't live. Yeah, well, and also, those were not subject to scrubbing and cleaning, it looked like. Yeah. So how much of that was local, how much was not. And there's a lot where we eventually learn how these replacements sort of work behind the scenes. But even then, it's the high level, here's the menu interface for the computer system. They never really go into the, this is how it takes this guy's photo and digitally inserts him into every photo everywhere of this other guy. Yeah. But we also get some of the high-level concept of what's supposed to happen, like with the kid who got replaced. Mm -hmm. The one kid wasn't reacting properly to the chip. The world was being told he's schizophrenic. And the doctor did a great job of coming up with the medical equivalent to Technobabble to cover anything. Yeah, the doctor, she was one of the main characters of the show because she originally is treating Alec for the head trauma he'd gotten, theoretically, you know... Falling off a ladder. Falling off a ladder day before he woke up not knowing who the hell he was. And can we trust her? Can we not? And there are clearly multiple types of residents in this town of Waimoana there are people that have bought in for this great life that they don't really remember buying in for. There are others that are like death row inmates that are basically reprogrammed to go fill out the staff and other things. And then there are people like the doctor who are aware of what's going on. And they're almost the equivalent, I would say, of you know how when you go to like Colonial Williamsburg or things like that, you've got the in-period actors, mm-hmm. you know, playing the part, kind of sort of what she was doing. Yeah. She she knew what was going on, couldn't say what was going on, and there were limits as to what she could and couldn't do in this town. She was not a, a resident or citizen. She was not exactly a, a, an employee. She was a blurred line in between. Well, she wasn't at the level of the board of directors. She was not in power, that's for sure. Yeah. Although she she exerted some there near the end. And then there was this other level of of the board of directors, the the like Mrs. Hobbs, the library, the people that are very much in the know and very much have some control and some power. Yeah. And there's an aspect, I don't see of the inmates running the asylum. But because you can effectively reprogram people, you can make them as useful or useless as you want. Mm -hmm. Well, and the board had mostly one idea about how the community was supposed to exist and be run. It was supposed to be the best little place on earth. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be, what, the future through happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was supposed to be this protected little bubble from the outside world. It was supposed to be one of those ideal gated communities, if you will. Yeah. And there's an aspect of we want to protect the privacy of the people who buy into this, because literally you're potentially paying a fortune of, I want a better life, let me have this thing. Why you have to have your memory wiped to go in there 
is unclear. Well, your memory got wiped because you were literally buying a different life. Yeah, it was unclear to me if everyone's memory got totally wiped or like if uh, Alex's boss's wife, Hope, if she knew. I don't think she knew. I think she got the life she thought she wanted and it was dull. It wasn't enough. Yeah. What puzzles me is if you can reprogram people to fit into a life, you, but you can't reprogram them enough to accept and be happy with that life. Well, the question is, is anything ever enough? And that's fair. I can definitely see that. I think there are some people that are innately happier and more satisfiable than others. There are some people that will only be happy when they're pushing the boundaries. I think there are some people that, through no fault of their own, will never be happy. Yeah. It's not that they've, they've, they're pushing boundaries or they need more or whatever. It's kind of that grass is always greener elsewhere mentality. Mm-hmm. Yet there are other people, I think, that have an innate, yeah, whatever we've got, that's okay, it could be worse sort of attitude. And depending what mindset you have as you watch this show, I think colors your perception of it. Yeah. You know, because I remember watching uh, Star Trek Generations, not one, but two starship captains of the Federation wind up in this nexus, the ribbon, whatever, where your heart's desires all come true. And not one, but two Starfleet captains could not be happy with everything that makes them happy. And I'm like, well, that says something right there. <laughs> so here, the fact that some people aren't reacting well to the, the implanted memory, that makes sense, not mm-hmm. 100% success ratio, and that they're getting swapped out, replaced, and people are none the wiser also kind of makes sense. Well, and then we have the resistance from the outside that seems to, in part, be focused on rescuing children. Yeah, it's hard to tell if the kids are there because they were captured and, and you know, abducted into this to fill the roles or, or what. And I'm wondering if they were bought from desperate families. Could be. Could be. In which case, the resistance feels that basically desperate families were preyed upon unfairly. All we know about life outside of this town is we're told it's horrible. There are people from the outside coming in to rescue, save, you know, they're either terrorists or liberators, depending whom you believe. Out of the entire thing, there are, there's one scene that actually takes place outside of Waimoana. It's in like the boardroom office or whatever of uh, the uh, the one company, Eugene, Eugene. that's that's running the, the, the town or the city. And maybe one other scene where somebody was calling from another location. Yeah. But virtually all of it up until the last few minutes is set you know, in this town, in this bubble. So all we know of what's happening outside is what we're told. And we know we can't trust what we're being told because we know that the, the citizens are being lied to yes. and manipulated. Yeah. One day it's a terrorist attack. The next day it's a gas main break. Yeah. There are a number of times where Alec is, is very aware that what happened yesterday and what people think happened yesterday don't match. Yeah. And the one or two times where there was a pretty big, you know, scrub of, of the history and he was warned, they're going to lose a day or two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we've got to rewind to the last save point of the game, if you will. Yeah. So there's a lot of, of very interesting ideas. It's set in a near future sort of time frame. Mm-hmm. Again, this was 2010. I think we saw a date of like 2017 here near one of the last two episodes. Interesting. I could I, be wrong on I that. I didn't catch it. But there weren't many places where yeah. dates were referenced. But even nearly 10 years later, it feels contemporary and slightly futuristic. Mm-hmm. They're driving smart cars, but they're not branded that way. 
the 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 cell phone device kind of thing is suitably futuristic. Well, and the cars have some kind of auto drive feature. Auto drive, voice recognition, uh, uh, kind of computer interactivity. Mm-hmm. The computers are these plexiglass things that kind of display internally. Again, everything's translucent in the future. Well, I was going to say, usually they're clear whitish. Yes. Unless they're the evil group, theirs are black. <laughs> the first time I commented on that while we're watching, <laughs> your reaction to me was hilarious because I just started to ask you, should I Im- take as an implication that they're evil because? And you already knew what I was seeing. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because particularly when you're like the wellness center and stuff like that, everything is this almost sterile white. Um, white with hints of relaxing blue. Relaxing blue, but almost this void like, mm-hmm. you know, you, when he gets lost early on of how do I get out of here? It's like, I can understand this. There's there's no signage. There's no almost texture to the the place. The majority of the show had very calming, relaxing, pastel and neutral colors palette. And that was totally intentional because while this is a prison for some people, it's the ultimate resort for others. Yeah. And the idea is they want you to not want to leave. Well, and they've set it up to where they've guaranteed it has an airport, but nobody can afford to leave. Early on, I think it was even in the pilot where Alec is trying to leave and is, oh, you don't have enough credits or whatever. And then later when somebody, one of the board director uh, members is there, he can't leave because, oh, you don't have enough credits or whatever. There's an aspect of be careful when visiting the prison lest you get trapped in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and looking back on it being from 10 years ago, I don't think I really registered that they were talking about carbon footprint and stuff like that. The carbon footprint, the we need to recycle. There were aspects that I'm not sure if at that time that was very futuristic thinking and looking or if it was already starting to come into being. It definitely, though, is part of what gives this a both a timelessness and a futureness mm-hmm. to it. Because there's a lot of aspects where, again, the mind wipes and all this stuff. It's a sci-fi show. Yeah, definitely. It's just set in a contemporary, you know, near future sort of setting. Well, it's interesting to me. They list it as a thriller. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But to me, it wasn't the intense thriller per se as much as it was engrossing sci-fi yeah i think part of it is if you had taken this exact show and said it's not in this you know quaint little city or town wherever it's on this spaceship yeah generation ship or whatever kind of a thing then oh it's hard sci-fi kind of a thing yeah well and i think if you had really upped the instead of making it terrorist cells, making it basically spy organizations, mm-hmm. it would have felt more thriller. And there were definitely aspects where, you know, who can we trust? The wellness group, the, the, the Safeway security group, who are these outsiders? And we never feel like we're never getting answers, but we never get total answers. There, yeah, I was left with a lot of questions. I mean, where the season ended was the completion of this arc, but very much another arc could and should be starting. It never came. I think two other arcs, technically. I think they actually could have spun two shows out where they ended. Okay. What do you see? I see one that you, at the very end, you're like, I think we could follow the two characters standing on the beach. Right. We we, we get to a point where two characters are about to, to go somewhere. We could follow them where they go. So leave Waimoa. Yeah. 
But we also had Jessica, who now has amnesia, who is now in the position Alec Ross was at episode one, but she has Alec Ross's journal. Yeah, they could have... The, the danger with that is they could have done a second season having her almost step up to be the lead, mm -hmm. having Alec play the role of Harry. And you could do... The, the risk is you do the same arc differently. Well, the thing is, though, we could finally get that outside perspective. Yeah. Because one of the things that I feel is on the laundry list of unanswered questions. Okay, we know John Sheridan, who's the real name of Alec Ross, is credited with inventing the chip, the technology, so much of this what wasn't meant to be memory wipe technology. Yeah, he created something to help stroke victims reclaim their memory, and it was able to be used to implant memories into people and therefore do this kind of penal colony sort of thing. Yeah. As his father said, you finally had an idea that was commercially viable. Yeah. You know, so it was it was taken as a you had a medical idea that could enrich a lot of lives, but you needed to make money to support that mm -hmm. so the commercially viable idea came out of it okay so alec ross is 35 40 years old give or take but my thing is we never get a why moana established 30 years ago we don't know how long the city's been around it seems like it's been for some time mm -hmm. and I mean, at one point I commented to you, we never see a statue of the first resident of Waimoana. There's no sense of history in this town. Yeah. It's clearly been going for, it seems like, a few years. Mm -hmm. I'd put Alec closer to the 40 or a little above. He didn't just invent this. So there's there's the backstory to be had of how was this place built. Mm -hmm. You know, how long have some of these residents been in there? And stuff like that. And it's something that over the course of the first season, the information is trickling out at a steady enough pace that we feel we're making progress, not fast progress, because mm -hmm. there's a, a leisurely aspect to the show at times, but not a come on, move forward. Nothing felt like filler. Yeah, I would agree with that. But things got dropped. Oh, absolutely. The minute they were done with the, uh, the office that Alec worked in and- jessica's replacement there the office was barely seen and none of those people were ever seen again yeah you know there were definitely aspects of uh we, christian's soccer stuff once yeah. uh, uh kyle was replaced and that was done poof gone we never got any follow-up to the point that they stopped showing the front of the milk bottles once uh kyle's drawings of his parents were seen to match the drawings on the milk balls. From then on, the fronts of the milk balls were blank. Yeah, I took that as they'll use any means necessary to, to discredit stories they want discredited, to, to support their narrative and stuff. And we talked about it at one point while we were watching that I thought it would be a fascinating show and something they could do on a second season if they ever had done one to follow the other side of you've got this person, they're acting out, we need to, to change the narrative. The team that, that rewrites the narrative puts the things in place and are playing that side of the game. Mm -hmm. Well, and we had talked about the fact that that was a twofold side in terms of you had the programmers who were figuring out how to work the programming and make it viable, but you literally had authors and writers. You've got the people who, who 
are the psychologists, the writers, the narrative creators, and then the narrative implementers. Yeah. And that's something that we should probably do an episode on The Truman Show. Mm. Because similar ideas in a different way. And there were times in that movie where you could see the director kind of, here's the angle we're going to go, you know, riff on this, we're setting this up kind of deal. Yeah. And it's one thing to do it in like a Truman Show situation where you've got one person that you're manipulating. To do it in this sort of a, a setting of Why Moana where you've got who knows how many. Yeah. Hundreds, possibly hundreds of thousands. Well, and they never clarified how many people bought in. And they never clarified how big the town was. True. But what percentage, I guess yes. I meant. Bought in versus were brought in, whether they wanted to be there or not. How many were set sentenced to be there? How many chose to be there? Yeah. And then how many people were in like that position the doctor's in? Because for a while, I was thinking the neighbor Roy. Mm. You put one or two of these on every block and they're just kind of overseeing. They're the nosy neighbor who keeps everything in line. Yeah. But when he was then, you know, uh, there at the end, subject to the, the memory alteration, not to say he couldn't still be, you know, uh, that kind of, of guard, if you will, mm -hmm. but he didn't seem to be by the end. Well, they played fair and showed us fairly early on that like Gordy was being brought in to Safeway security. Mm -hmm. So that should have been my first indication that quite a few Safeway security people had the implants. It was unclear to me how much was internal people with implants and how many were external and where those lines got drawn. Because I had, yeah, I had thought most of the Safeway security people were non-implanted external people. I thought so too. And where I think they missed an opportunity was when one of the guards... Um, gets killed out in that remote location, uh, hit by the, the van or whatever, and the guy's like, oh, I got bad news to tell you. If he had done that, but then the next day we're back in that situation, there's a blatantly different person as that guard. Yes. Yes. You know, oh, he was just sick yesterday. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot more of those aspects where if they had to be doing serious editing of the overall narrative, we could have and should have been seeing. Mm-hmm. And it could have been interesting if once the John Smith login was created, that that was being used internally by somebody who's who's now in a position of power, even though they're just a random citizen of Waimoana. You know what I mean? To this isn't going how I want it or this person's not working out well. Let's let's course correct. Yeah. So there's a lot of narrative potential. And I think they, they stayed on a clear narrative uh, thread throughout. I didn't feel they meandered too much. And I liked how they ended on a, a clean note that resolved stuff that was set up from the very beginning mm -hmm. and did it in a way that had they gotten a second season, they were not locked into, we must go this way because damn, we, we, we cast the, the line out too far that far. Yeah. Because I mean, there's so many shows where, man, the last 30 seconds to a minute of a season is either telegraphing or, or calling the shot for the next season yeah and there are other seasons of shows where you end up and they're going to pick up wherever they want to having had a little time to, to take a step back see how things were, were really received and that's how i felt this ended mm -hmm. it's like we've got two characters that are at a clear turning point and there are multiple directions they could turn yeah and nothing where i feel i mean you could argue the jessica thing is well they've got to come back to that next season 
You could argue the, uh, the, the Richard Foster, they've got to come back to that. But you could argue it's not they must. Yeah. Anytime you've got a show, and Smallville was horrible at this, they would end with almost every character in Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. You got to address that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There have been one or two other shows where they end on a clear cliffhanger and they come back at three months later and, oh, yeah, we dealt with that. And literally, that's as much dialogue as you get to, to resolve it. And it's like, well, that kind of is, is disappointing. Yeah. So overall, the fact that these were actors that we were unfamiliar with meant we didn't go into any episode with an expectation of, oh, he's a big deal. Yeah. You know, if they'd cast him in this role, it's not a nothing role kind of a thing. Because um, there are a lot of times that definitely plays into, I think, our thinking as watching stuff. And the fact that it was a New Zealand show already gave it a, I don't say otherworldly nature, but a, a different cultural perspective mm-hmm. that helped the not feel dated aspect, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, it was a fun show. It's 13 episodes, so it's about a nine and a half hour watch, give or take. It's well worth it. It's, I think, very well written. It's well paced. Yeah. And like I said, it was just engrossing. You get caught up in trying to solve the evolving mystery. Because I liked how Alec Ross first it's, you know, this is not my life. And by that, he starts with family. Mm -hmm. He moves to work. And it's kind of a, okay, should I not be in this house? Should I not be in this job? Should I be somewhere else? And trying to kind of define what makes it not my life, what makes me feel like I don't fit and belong here. Well, to me, one of those crucial moments for that was when he goes out golfing. Yes. And realizes he just can't golf. Yeah. And the best friend he usually golfs with realizes, wait, you need to practice. Yeah, it's like, what the hell happened? Yeah. You know? So I thought that was, again, that goes into, you can tell somebody you're great at this, but when it actually comes time to do it, are you great at that? Yeah. And we saw both aspects of that with Alec. Stuff that he was basically, everybody thought he was this great golfer, and he's not, because the previous Alec apparently had been, and the previous Alec had been rubbish with computers. This one, not so much. Yeah. Well, and the previous Alec was apparently more self-centered. Much. And less aware of how his decisions affected others. How much of that do you think is a repercussion of actions not having the same consequences in this town? I wondered if it was that, but I also wondered if some of it was somewhere in the programming he knew as human resources that he was supposed to be supporting relationships forming because he was told only one candidate would be sent to him for jobs and it would be the appropriate gender match to the one single person in that department. He didn't think it would be the one single match for the person in the department, but it would be the right person for the job, whatever that meant. In other words, in this place, when you request a new employee, you get the the ideal candidate. There's no, we've got to go check them out, no interview process so much. Yeah. And that was one when Jessica's replacement there turns out to look just like her, have a same background and that kind of a thing. When that's what started down the path of maybe some people are getting kind of, you know, ordered like a pizza. Yes. Um, And some of the, again, the discussions they have on that was was interesting. Mm -hmm. They not only had a clever idea, but they 
took the time in many cases to explore it and discuss it without belaboring it. Yeah. You know, um, there are other shows that I think uh, other writer rooms where we would have had, you know, a three hour discussion on, on that part of the thing. It's like, yeah, let's move on. And they didn't do that. Again, that pacing was really well done. Well, yeah, because they hit on that. They hit on whether or not you need to feel that connection, Mm -hmm. you know, and the take some people seem to have was, well, if you don't just feel a connection with the first person we match you up with, then you belong over at the go-go bar. Well, there's an aspect of it may work on paper. These seem like they should be a good match, but is there that spark? Yeah. And if there's not, you've got the ability to just kind of gloss stuff over and whatnot. But it seemed like some of that was being taken care of within whatever company or organization the person actually worked at. But if it got escalated to the wellness and you need counseling or something like that. Oh, yeah. Counseling was a threat. Then course correction could could happen. Yeah. Counseling was definitely a threat Mm -hmm. to most people. It was like getting dragged off in chains. It was unclear as to why, though, because if that led to an actual, let's, you know, recast the person sort of a thing, nobody would be the wiser. But everybody seemed to know instant major changes happened if you went to counseling. Counseling was definitely not seen as a good thing. I, I agree with you entirely there. I guess my point is I don't understand why. I don't know if it was necessarily seen as a replacement. It was more seen as like shock therapy. Oh, suppose a couple goes off to marriage counseling. It's They realize it's not going to work because the counselor seemed to be yes. a little bit more in the know like a doctor. They could say, let's swap this person out. Why aren't these marriage counselors and whatnot seen as miracle workers? Yeah, no, they weren't. So, yeah, I don't know. So that... I mean, they pointed out there's a zero divorce rate, or seemingly. You don't hear of anyone divorced in Waimoa. Everyone's happy here. Yeah. And I think that's the the concern, is you don't want to be seen as unhappy. You stand out that way. That's bad. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's a, a societal repercussion for that. Well, and we started to mention that the first Kyle when he got replaced, was allegedly sent away from Waimoa to a hospital. Yes. And when... We found out what sent away meant. Yes. And, was not good. And poor Dr. Collins, that was the the beginning of the Alec felt betrayed by. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever fence she was on, she started falling off it at that point. Well, there was an aspect of she bought into the they're trying to make a good place here. And with the best of intentions, but was seeing, as Alec was exposing her to it, the the nasty side well, of but this. It was more than that. She was willing to use Jessica's bait because she knew how Jessica ended up there. Yes. Jessica was one of the prisoners. Therefore, Jessica could be exposed to danger and risk. Well. It was a very class-filled and class-laden society oh, absolutely. when you looked at it. Absolutely. And we saw tons of signs of that. Just how Jessica was treated when she was an office worker and then when she was the cleaning lady for the office. Yeah. You know, and the go-go club in between. It's It's got a lot of, of commentary about society, how it could work, how it does work, how people act when they think they're not being watched, when they know they're being watched, and just how they act in general. I think this was a well-conceived show. The three people who conceived it were, uh, I think, had also done a lot of the writing on the show. I think one or two of them even directed some episodes. Clearly know what they're doing. Yeah. 
Well, it got optioned to be a U.S. show. It did. It did. And we had held out hope that they would do that. But yeah. here we are nearly 10 years later and it just didn't happen. It still could. It still should. Yeah, it should. And I think if you were to do that, finding the right actor, I think Charles Measure was the right guy for this show because he, he, strong actor, was able to play the different sides of the character and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And if he had been a not interesting to watch actor, mm -hmm. it would have floundered. Well, there were times when I just wanted to laugh watching him because it was like you could see his mind working in some of the scenes of, I know what I want to say, but I can't say that. So what is the line you say in Why Moana? There are times where he's saying one thing and clearly meaning another. Yeah. And that was both great writing, but man, the delivery. Yeah. Because yeah. you could have had somebody who just basically almost deadpanned it and just believed what was being said, not the ulterior message being sent. Yeah. And that, to me, is what really made this shine. Well, there were so many times when it was clear he registered and understood, like the, I want you to be happy. That mm -hmm. was one of those catchphrases of why Moana. Yeah. Well, and also when he's gotten treated uh, for the head injury kind of a thing, you can you can tell he's playing back the few things he learned over that day. Yeah. You know, because that's what they need to hear. And it was, for me, it was really, did he get wiped and, re you know, reasserted? Did he not? What's going on? Is he, you know, and there are multiple interpretations. Mm-hmm. And- that, I think, is, is a strength of the show. Mm -hmm. I'm, again, disappointed that it didn't get another season that over there and that it didn't get kind of brought over either here or the UK or something. Yeah. I think there's a lot more material here to work with. Mm -hmm. I think they had great production values over there in terms of the visual effects and stuff like that were really well done for all the computers and stuff like that. And it was, um, it was a, a, a solid show. Well, and they did a lot of nice, subtle touches, like until you thought about the fact that there were no paper photos mm -hmm. in frames. You didn't really notice there were only digital photo frames, stuff like that. Well, and the carbon footprint explains the lack of paper. Yes. You know, so the, that to me is the well-conceived aspect. Yeah. If you're going to do this, well, what about, you know, the magazines or the, 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 the tangibles and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, let's write it out this way. Oh, okay. You've covered that. Yeah. But that also makes me wonder, again, how did this town come into being? How did they get all the things aligned to make this happen? Yeah. How did they find the spot for a town? You know, um, didn't expect all that to come out in this season, but those are the, 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 the things that you, when you stop and think about it some it's like yeah i am curious about this yeah i want more i want more here's and it's not like i need a documentary on the the building of of the prison sort of a thing but i might watch it if they had one well one of the things that they don't touch on is i mean we have several characters who mention uh like callie in the video we find about her wanting to buy in she mentions her mom died she has no husband she has no kids Okay, then at the from the go-go bar, we meet Louis, the friend, who says his family died in the great flu. Mm -hmm. And he's got a fiancé, and she mentions her husband had died, other people had died. There are no people who try to visit this prison. I mean, we have the resistance who tries to steal people out. 
There were people leaving from the he- on the helicopter. That implied visitors. There's the Hibiscus Hotel, which implies visitors. But it's unclear who visits and why. But they all seemed to be connected to the board, to Waimoa Water. Yeah. They're overseers. They're not yeah. visiting inmates, if you will. Yeah. And we were told that the only reason people leave Waimoa is to get replaced. Yeah. I would expect if they had done a second season, we would have seen the John Sheridan character come back uh, to Waimoana for a little bit. As to how that would have played out, don't know. Well, now he's got the Richard Foster identity. True, true. Which w- puts him in an interesting position of power, at least within Waimoana. Yeah. Again, so many ways they could have gone for a second season. Yeah. And they did it in a way that left the first one very satisfying. Yes. There have been, again, so many shows where it's like you didn't end at a point where I felt was a good ending point, a good pausing point. So uh, one of the things I had commented to to you about is, after we'd watched it, the actress who plays the daughter mm-hmm. was, what, 12 or something at the time, maybe? Thereabouts. 10 years later. Yeah. She would be old enough now to have, I think, a potentially very different take on the story. Mm-hmm. Than when she was involved in the filming. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, because one of the questions that occurs to me about her character is she gets out of Waimoana, but has no memories of Hannah Sheridan's life. Yeah, he didn't revert her memories. And I, I get why. It would have been hard to do. On the one hand, yeah, I totally get it. But on the other hand, she is missing a mother who isn't her mother. Yep. She's missing a brother who isn't her brother, and she has no idea about a mother who is her mother that may be dead. We're not sure. Well, it's got a spin on a second season where it would not have been her life that she's living, even though it is. Yeah. And again, the idea of identity, who can you trust, what the hell's going on? Yeah. We've seen that in uh, Dark Matter, played out in an almost opposite way of this. We've seen even uh, in Once Upon a Time... You've got these people living in this fairy tale existence, but they're not who they they are. Yeah. So this is a, a story trope that's been out before and will be out again. But when they do it well, which they did here, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was well played. So again, this is available on uh, Vudu. Mm-hmm. It's uh, free with commercials or free with ads, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. So thirteen episodes. You take out the ads. It's about nine and a half hours. You add them back in. It'd be I don't know thirteen hours, whatever. I don't pay attention to how long we watch on these things. It's it's easy to do in a weekend. Yeah. And definitely recommend it. It's it's a hidden gem out there in the, the streaming land. I totally agree. So anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.